Well, if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and turn to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. And it's with a little bit of sadness that we turn, not, not too much sadness, but a little bit of sadness that we start, turn to Psalm 23. For a, a while now, we've been in the Psalms. So we've been just moving through yeah, and the next psalm is each week as we gather together on the Lord's Day. And this is our last week in the psalms for a time. Lord willing, we'll come back around again and we'll consider Christ. Uh, sing of the King. We'll consider Christ from the psalms again uh, in the future. Again, these are psalms that the Lord has given to His church throughout all the ages whereby we might see the full vent and the full... Uh, proclamation and, and exposition of the, the full range of human emotions as we walk through this life, as we see the joys of this life, as we see the sorrows of this life. And so Psalm 23, I've heard it described before by a friend, a brother in Christ, as the Mona Lisa of the Bible. <laughs> this is a precious treasure that we have in this text. It's a well-loved text uh, in Psalm 23. By so many. This is probably, other than you judge not lest you judge in Matthew chapter 7, this is probably one of the most well known texts in the scriptures. Psalm 23. Well, I don't know if you know this this morning, but you have come to this place, and I have come to this place as a needy thing. Human beings are needy, we're born that way. Utterly dependent. And as we grow, we have constant, we have constant need of guidance from parents, from guardians, from teachers. And the line between adolescence and adulthood in our culture is blurry. You know, the Affordable Care Act draws the line at age 26. So that's what we'll go with, okay? So somewhere between when you can vote, age 18. In age 26, when you're no longer dependent on your parents for health insurance, there's a period of of self-deception that we begin to hinge into, where if we ever recognized that we were needy people before, we kind of move forward foolishly thinking that if we work hard enough, we'll never be in need again. I am the master of my domain. I I steer the, the ship, the direction of my life. And then as we age, we start to realize that the savings aren't quite enough. And we start to realize that if Social Security isn't bankrupt by the time that I'm 62, there's probably not really enough there for me to live on. If we live long enough, each one of us will lose the ability to provide for ourselves, as if we ever did. And we we slowly find ourselves back where we started again. Completely and utterly dependent upon the care of others. But even during the years of independence, you know, we don't realize that we rely on thousands of things, probably billions of things. From governments to the economy to friends. I don't know if you've ever thought about this this way, but every institution that exists points to the neediness of mankind. Government exists for the protection of a people because there are injustices and evils that we are unable to protect ourselves from. The grocery store exists so that we can buy food because, quite frankly, we just can't produce it ourselves. 
Now, the record store or Pandora or Spotify, whatever you do to listen to music, it exists because we aren't very good musicians. <laughs> we are needy people. Everything that exists from a bank to a financial planner, those exist to protect our assets and to give us guidance on investments because we can't do it on our own. If we didn't have banks, we didn't have financial advisors, and maybe you think, well, I did it on my own. I read a few books. Well, friend, you read a book. Somebody taught you that stuff. When you were a kid, your parents taught you how to do the checkbook. Hopefully, right? But we could go on and on. We could just spend the whole morning, all morning, just thinking about, okay, we are needy. Human beings, by nature, are needy. Uh, The point is that human beings are needy. So friends, what is your primary need? What is your primary need? Is it Maslow's hierarchy of food, safety, relationships, self-esteem, self-actualization? Or is it something else? Well, the Bible shows us that our ultimate need isn't any of these things. Our ultimate need is God and God alone. This is one of the things that really we're considering the whole time this morning in Psalm 23. So again, turn to Psalm 23 if you're not already there. And listen quietly as I read out loud. A Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Well, this is the big idea of the text. God is our greatest need, and He overflowingly meets that need in Himself. So again, that's a big idea, the theme, the point of the text as I can discern it. God is our greatest need, and he overflowingly meets that need in himself. Four points. Number one, we need a shepherd provider. We need a shepherd provider. Number two, we need a shepherd friend and protector. We need a shepherd friend and protector. Number three, we need a shepherd host. We need a shepherd host. And then the last point is this. Jesus Christ is the I am. I am the good shepherd. Jesus Christ is, I am the good shepherd. And it's my hope that as we consider this song, that each of us will see that God is our greatest need. If you pick up nothing else as we leave this morning. Pick up this. You need God desperately.
and that God's steadfast love for his sheep in Jesus Christ is better than life itself. Again, those two things. You need God. And that his covenant, his steadfast love for his people in Christ is better than life. Let those two truths overpower the lies of the things of this world, that the things of this world, the people in this world, the institutions in this world will tell you that you need more. No, hear God's voice. Listen to the voice of the shepherd king. Well, one thing that we see throughout the, whole, the course of the whole Bible is that God has revealed himself as a shepherd. We're going to do a little bit of a sword drill. If you want, you can flip to these passages. You don't have to. Uh, but in Genesis, Genesis chapter 38, verse 15, Joseph said this, God has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. When Israel strayed from God, so Israel was God's people, in the Old Testament, when they strayed from God, he said this, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. So they were running away from the shepherd. Kind of that same picture that we got from the text in John 10 that Jordan was reading earlier. And the prophets bear witness to God as the shepherd of his people. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. This is speaking of God. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. Jeremiah 31, verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. Say, he who scattered Israel will gather him. And will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. And then listen to Ezekiel. This, this is a beautiful text. Mark this later and come back again and just consider Ezekiel. But listen to verses 11 through 16 of Ezekiel chapter 34. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is coming or sorry when he is among his sheep and have been scattered so i this is the lord speaking so i seek my sheep i will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness and i will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and I, and will bring them into their own land and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture. They shall feed on the, the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. So we see that God is a shepherd of his people. And that brings us to Psalm 23. The first point, we need a shepherd provider. David has a bold confidence 
as his hope is fixed and built upon something that's unshakably and unchangeably solid. Verse 1, the Lord. The first two words, the Lord. Yahweh, the I am who I am, the one true and living God who has pledged himself to his people. And this song begins with I am. That's the name of God, I am. And it ends in I am's house, Yahweh's house. I am is the sovereign God who rules over all things. I am is the creator and sustainer of all things. He is majestic and worthy of all praise. He is high and lifted up. But he is powerfully near his people as well. I am. Yahweh has chosen to display his glory to the cosmos by bending low as a shepherd to a weak and needy flock. David leads God's people in singing this. Yahweh is my shepherd. I shall not want. And that want there, I shall not lack. I, I, sh- I will have no need. And this is the collective voice in unison of God's people throughout all the ages. We are in want. We are in need. We lack strength. We need a shepherd provider. And God has chosen sheep who were unworthy of his care and condescended and bent low for their care. He has set his love and care upon a flock of sheep. And beloved, God has proved To be a shepherd provider. Think back on your life. Can you see any evidences of God's grace to you in your life? Can you see any ways that he has been creating and sustaining you in your life? I didn't grow up with sheep. But people tell me that they're dumb. uh, People that know sheep well. I don't know if you've ever read Philip Keller's book. uh, Oh, It's about... It's about Psalm 23. Psalm 23 through the eyes of a shepherd, something like that. But he he was a shepherd for a number of years, and he shepherded sheep, and he just kind of goes chapter after chapter thinking about the neediness and the stupidity of sheep. Sheep are, are smart enough only to get into trouble, and they're unable to provide for themselves. And when we think of lying down in green pastures, being led by still, restful waters, or peaceful waters, it evokes the thought of a beautiful day. But these images mean more to sheep than they do to just mere human beings like us. And green pastures means an abundance of food. We saw that in Ezekiel 34. And and restful waters, it means fresh water to drink. And water that's not a raging, roaring water, but a peaceful water that's not a threat to the sheep. And David makes it clear in verse 3 that he's not merely talking about material provision and food and water, but a spiritual refreshment. But it's not ultimately food and drink that restores the soul. I don't know if you are anything like me. I think that we all have done this before, where we have given into emotional eating. Our stomachs are connected to our affections, and our stomachs are connected to to our, our souls. And often when we face anxiety or depression or whatever it is, we can seek to medicate ourselves by eating, seeking fulfillment in food. And whether it's an eating disorder of overeating or an eating disorder of anorexia or something like that, our stomachs are connected to our souls. 
that's one of the points that David is, is making here. And when we face need and depression and anxiety, we can do that, that emotional eating. And we intuitively connect rest and restoration with food. But when we give into emotional eating or something like that and seeking refreshment in food alone, has it, has it ever truly refreshed you? Gorging on a meal? Emotional eating? Has it taken away your anxiety? Has it taken away depression as you seek to exercise control over that very area of your life? No. Why? Because refreshment doesn't come from food. From the green pastures and the still waters itself, but the refreshment comes from God. The presence of a very God with His people. And that doesn't say that food or water restores your soul there. It says, I am. It says, the Lord, He restores my soul. I am. Yahweh restores my soul. And he provides the spiritual food and drink of himself that fills the souls of his people. Uh, and this isn't all in the future. So I shall, or I will not be in want. You see that that's a future statement, but it's taking place in reality on the ground. God's action here in verses 1 through 3, it's all in the present. He makes, leads, restores and then leads again. And the spiritual refreshment of the soul that comes from God means that we were in a spiritual famine. The word for restoration, it also carries the idea of conversion or returning, turning with it. God returns or converts the soul. No man has the power to convert a soul. In order to find rest for our souls, God must turn us toward himself. He is true food. We must feast upon God by faith in his son Christ. God gives the gift of repentance and converts or restores souls, the souls of his people to himself. And at the end of verse 3 is the confidence for the believer. He leads me in paths of righteousness. For his name's sake, God's care as a shepherd provider isn't ultimately dependent upon the sheep. Praise God! It's not dependent on my ability to pursue the shepherd. It's dependent upon God's pursuit of the sheep and his leadership of the sheep. A path of righteousness. And it's rooted in the fact that he does all things for the sake of his own glory. And friends, we can take that to the bank. God stamps his very people with unity in Christ and he stamps his name upon his people so that ultimately he will keep his promises because he cannot fail in keeping his promises to his people, but also he will not fail in keeping his promises to himself. It would contradict his very nature uh, if he were to lie. And ultimately, again, his care for us is not dependent upon us, the sheep. It's not dependent on our value. It's not dependent on our works. Nothing in us, nothing in us merits or deserves the care of the provision of God, the shepherd provider. And God leads us in paths of righteousness for his great namesake. God does all of this, again, for the sake of his glory. 
He has so fixed the reputation of his name to his sheep that he will certainly lead them in paths of righteousness. And this has a moral aspect to it, that God leads his people to live lives that are set upon the path of righteousness. The sheep of God's lives look different than the lives of the world. God's sheep, as stupid and foolish as they can be, they continue to walk upon a path that God has trailblazed for them, a path of righteousness, a righteousness that they don't have. It's a righteousness that God provides, but then it also charts out a path of righteousness, that He is the lamp unto our feet, the light unto our path. And that path for the sheep of God is that path of righteousness. Now, friends, don't ever be ashamed to say that you long to embrace the holiness of God, that you long to grow in righteousness before the Lord. It's a beautiful thing. It's a joy for God's people to walk in righteousness and holiness. Is it so for you, friend? Do you want to be holy? Is that one of the desires of your life? And not holy for your own sake, but for the glory of the Lord, for His name's sake. But don't miss the point that it is I am, or Yahweh, who determines what is right and what is wrong, not us. It is I am who leads His people on a path of righteousness. We don't get the opportunity to determine or choose that which is righteous. God does. We don't get to choose that which is holy. God does. And friends, there is no room for boasting. The Christian life is not a game of trying to get ahead of each other like a spiritual comparison or a spiritual jockeying or spiritual arrogance as we compare ourselves to each other. Hey friend, did you see me over here? I was a little bit more holy than you were. No, it's not a competition like that at all. All of the boasting belongs to the Lord alone. There is no room for boasting among dumb, needy, stupid sheep as we follow the one who provides, our shepherd provider. We simply follow his lead on the path that he has lovingly laid each stone of righteousness by his own hand. And without the shepherd provider in I am, we would be utterly lost. Without sustenance without rest, without provision, without hope. And not only do we need a shepherd provider, we need a shepherd friend and protector. Look at verse four. This is the second point. We need a shepherd friend and protector. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And the staff we see there, the rod, has this protective element. The staff is something that leans upon. It's a, a sense of security and, and rest as well. Or you think of a shepherd's hook that hooks the neck of a sheep when it's struggling in the water. The shepherd pulls them out. Friends, we live in a dangerous world. I think sometimes we anesthetize ourselves to that. We try to ignore the fact that we live in a dangerous world. Our, our society has done its uttermost to remove any concept of death from the normal experiences of life. It used to be that when you would go to a church, you would walk past the graveyard into the doors of the church. In one sense, being reminded that there are people that have come before us who have trusted in Christ. And they are awaiting resurrection. But in another sense, reminding us of the brevity of life. Life is short, friends. 
We see death. We feel pain. We suffer loss. Now, friends, from the news of the hurricane, uh, Nate, I think it is, that is pulling into hitting Biloxi last night, or the horrible news of the shooter in Las Vegas last Sunday, to the seemingly constant threat of war and of terrorism throughout this world. The valley of the shadow of death there can also be translated as the valley of deep darkness or the valley of deadly shadows. What happened to the fourfold reality of God's sheep, though? In verses 1 through 3, all of a sudden we're in the the valley of the shadow of death. But what happened to the lying down in the green pastures? What happened to being led by still peaceful waters? What happened to the restored my soul and being led on paths of righteousness for his namesake? Well, verse 4, it adds another layer to the present tense reality of God's sheep, which is that we will face difficulties in this world. God's sheep face constant deadly shadows in a valley. My friends, a valley can be deceptive. I don't know if you've heard of stories of people going on a leisurely walk into the Grand Canyon, not taking any water with them, and sometimes losing their life because it looked like a beautiful valley, just going on a walk. But a valley can be deceptive. Uh, A beautiful river or a stream. Think of a mountain stream, Big Thompson Canyon in, in Colorado. You drive on there on a normal day and see this beautiful stream running through it. It's not very threatening. But that, that little stream floods. And as that water rises, those walls of that canyon, you either go up those walls or there's no escape. A beautiful stream can quickly become a destructive flood. A beautiful view of hills on each side of a valley or the, the rock formations that stand on each side. But those hills and rocks can become walls with no escape when a strong enemy approaches. Enemies lurk in shadows. Enemies lurk in darkness. But this is a, a reality of, of danger, of threats, of enemies. But that is overpowered and by the presence of I am by the presence of the Lord. We face trials. We walk through this world in the valley of the shadow of death, but facing difficulty does not mean that God has abandoned us. It doesn't mean that we are on the wrong path. Do you see that? God is a shepherd, friend, and protector of his sheep who is with them in the valley of the shadow of death. And we can't say that just because we're facing difficulty in our lives or death, that somehow that's an indication that God isn't with us or that we're going the wrong way. I'm going to encourage you, if you've never read it before, read Pilgrim's Progress. It's a constant temptations to walk off of the narrow way because the narrow way is hard. It's hard to keep to it. It's, it's difficult. You face Temptation, you face your own sin, you face threats from the enemies of God. Verses 1 through 3 describe God from a distance with those he pronouns. He led, he restores, he lies down. But in verse 4, 
it pivots and gets more personal with these you pronouns. David's addressing God, you are with me. Your rod and staff comfort me. The green pastures, the waters of rest, the the soul restoration, the walking in paths of righteousness for his namesake. It's all happening at the same time that God's people are walking through danger. It's not a contradiction, it's just a juxtaposition of multiple realities. So even in the midst of the threats that we face, God protects. Even in the midst of famine, God feeds us with himself. Even in the midst of sorrow, because God is with us, we can be joyful. Though we are downcast, we are happy. Because we have him. It's a paradox of what it is to be a sheep of God. In the midst of discomfort, because we have God as our shepherd friend and protector, we are comforted by his care. He is with us if we are trusting in him. And David speaks to this juxtaposition of realities in Psalm 18, 28. He says this, For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. Psalm 112, verse 4. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. And then Psalm 139, verse 12. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. But this this present overlaps, you know, this present reality of darkness, it overlaps with light. And God is, for his sheep, giving him himself. He is the provision of restoration for his people. He is the provision of even the green pastures and and the water. I am the shepherd will protect us and lead us through this life, though we face dangers on many sides. And if you belong to God, if you belong to the great I am, Yahweh, he will bring you finally and fully, safely to the verdant and green pasture and will water his sheep in his eternal kingdom where all shadow and death and darkness will be banished forever. I am, the Lord is our companion and friend. Friend, you have the Lord as your friend in this world. How can you know that he is your friend? Friends, he has pledged himself to his sheep. And friend, if you're trusting in God through his provision of Christ, we can cling to him in the midst of everything that we face. We don't have to be afraid. Only trust Him. We don't have to fear. Only stand by His leg. As He shepherds us, as His staff leads and comforts and protects. Though we are weak, and at times weeping, trembling, unable to do anything to help ourselves, He will not leave or forsake His people. And friend, if you're not trusting in Christ, you don't have this comfort. Friend, you you do not have a shepherd, protector, and friend. But would you turn from your sin and trust in God through Christ and find Him as your friend so that you would not be left alone to face the difficulties of this world and even the wrath of God that you deserve for your sin with no one to protect. 
And God will not abandon his people. He is his people's hope, the strength of their very hearts. And if he is with his people in darkness, darkness is not darkness to us. And then number three, we need a shepherd host. Look at verses five through six. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So in verses 5 through 6, the shepherd provider and the shepherd friend and protector pivots to a shepherd host. Here we see an amazing picture of the grace of God as he serves his lambs by preparing a table for them in the midst of their enemies and encouraging them with the reality that his sheep will dwell in the house of the chief shepherd forever. If we have the Lord, the great I am, we lack nothing. We have no reason to be afraid of the things that are frightening in this world. Verses 5 through 6 lean into this dual reality that we live in in this life. In the presence of our enemies, in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death, God prepares a table for his people, for me, for you, if you're trusting in Christ. And the green pastures, the still waters are already ours in the present reality of life that we face because we have him. Not because we have material goods or possessions or things like that. And again, this doesn't mean that we won't face hunger. It doesn't mean that we won't face persecution or suffering or difficulty in this life. Again, it doesn't mean that that we somehow have arrived at prosperity now, your best life now, so to speak. This is something that is being prepared for us, and yet we already taste of it in Christ. A number of commentators write that in David's time, a good host sought to refresh those that came into the household. You know, think about it. If you have some friends over to your house, try to cook a nice dinner, have a few beverages that that, that they might enjoy, put out some hors d'oeuvres, or you're trying to make it comfortable, make it a nice visit with your friends as they come into your house. But a good host would refresh his guests In this time, in David's time, by anointing them with perfumed oil to freshen up. Uh, Alan Ross writes this, Anointing with oil signifies wealth, prosperity, happiness, and honor. Here it is a pleasing provision of hospitality for an honored guest. And here we see that as the guest, his cup overflows. Think about it, you go to a restaurant. You get some coffee, or you get a soda, or whatever it is. And the waiter or the waitress comes around and continue to refresh that cup, to keep filling it up as a, as a good host. And remember the big idea of the text. God is our greatest need, and he overflowingly meets that need in himself. I am, Yahweh gives himself to his sheep, and that reality is more powerful than, uh, it's a more powerful reality than the enemies in the darkness that his people face. So it's a tasting of the verdant and green pastures and of the still waters, even while we are surrounded by the darkness of the valley of the shadow of death, even while we are surrounded in the presence of enemies. And the language of food, again, describes a cup that is so full that it can't even contain the abundant and generous provision of God. 
And David, when he speaks of his cup is overflowing, it's speaking of more than merely a cup of water, but a spiritual reality of God's sheep. A cup, is a, it's a Hebrew way of saying uh, all of life. My cup, my life, my sustenance, my, my existence. And, and the provision never runs out. He's better than the greatest waiter or waitress that you ever had in a restaurant. And the cup is always full to the brim, even in the valley of the shadow of death, even in the presence of enemies in this life. God's sheep experience God's goodness to the full. So beloved friends in Christ, our inheritance isn't merely worldly wealth. It's not merely entertainment that we have in this life. It's not comfort in this life. The the confidence of this entire psalm is clear to the close. For God's sheep, there is a certainty that goodness and mercy, God's steadfast covenant love, shall follow them with energy. And that word there, follow, it can also be translated as chase or to pursue. That goodness and mercy shall follow, shall pursue me all the days of my life. It's a picture of God kind of as a police officer chasing down somebody that's fleeing, even a sheep that's trying to run away from the shepherd. Uh, one uh, brother in Christ, uh, uh, I was listening to him teach on this text in Psalm 23. He said that he knew a shepherd when he was a boy in the United Kingdom, and he said that that, that shepherd, thinking of Psalm 23, named some of his sheepdogs goodness and mercy even as they followed him as he sought to take care of the sheep. It's a good reminder. Give a couple dogs. Goodness and mercy, just to be reminded that goodness and mercy shall pursue me. Undeserving of what I deserve uh, shall pursue me. God's love pursues his people, his sheep. God's sheep can try to run away from the goodness and covenant love of God, but he will overcome you. We thought about that from Psalm 139 a couple years ago probably, but God is the hound of heaven. There's no place that you can hide. And I think of Jonah. He tried to go the other way, but he could not hide from God. Now he will find his people. He will get his people. He will gather his sheep into his fold. Alec Motier writes this, Whatever danger pursues, there is always a greater pursuit afoot. Yahweh's goodness and committed love. And what the world means for evil even, God, for his sheep, he means it for our good. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Friend, do you believe that? Even as we consider James in the, in the coming weeks, he exhorts us, count it all joy when you face trials. How can you do that? Because it's a good gift from God, from the Father of lights, where there's no shadow or due to change. Even the difficulties that we face in this world are good gifts from God that He is using to cleave us unto Himself. And this leads to the last point Jesus Christ is, I am the Good Shepherd. Jesus Christ is, I am the Good Shepherd. As, as a boy, King David, he was a shepherd. As you read through First and Second Samuel, you can see that he fought against bears and a lion. You see, this is a strong young man. 
We may not have had the stature of Saul and the attractiveness and the height of Saul, but a strong young man uh, that the Lord was equipping to fight. And yet we know that the battle was God's all along. But we see that as God's called and anointed David to be king of Israel, in that coronation of David as the king of Israel in 2 Samuel chapter 5, the Lord said this, And the Lord said to you, David, You shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. Do you remember the passage that I read just a few minutes ago at the beginning of of our time together considering this text in Ezekiel chapter 34 about how God is the shepherd of his people? Even as we're considering all along from Psalm 23, God is the shepherd of his people. Well, a few verses later in Ezekiel, uh, verses 23 through 24, keep your, your finger in Psalm 23, but God describes how he will set up one shepherd over his people in a man. So if you're turning there, it's Ezekiel chapter 34. In verse 15 he said, the Lord speaking of himself, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. Well, verses 23 through 24, listen to this. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David. And he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. My servant David shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. They shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. Friends, when Ezekiel wrote this, David had been dead for almost 400 years. What is God talking about? My servant David will be king. I will set up over them one shepherd. And commentators, as you read them on this text, they debate about, what's what's Ezekiel talking about? This this doesn't seem clear. He's talking about himself as a shepherd, but a man as a shepherd. And God is the shepherd of his people, and he will set up himself as a shepherd in a man, whom he calls David. But we know David's dead. Friends, this is tapping into the the promise of God that through David's offspring, one would come on the throne of David who would rule over the nations forever from the Davidic throne. One shepherd who is fully God and fully man. That's why it's so confusing to the commentators. The shepherd of God's people is fully God and fully man. And this promise finds its yes and amen in Jesus Christ. So consider this for a few moments. Jesus is our shepherd provider. He makes us lie down as his sheep in green pastures. And we see this in Jesus' life. In the feeding of the more than 5,000 people in Matthew chapter 14, Jesus said this, He ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. And they ate. And they were satisfied. And then it's almost the same type of description in verse 15 of the feeding of the more than 4,000 directing the crowd to sit on the ground, they all ate and were satisfied. Jesus makes his people to lie down in the green grass. And then he provides food. Jesus is able to lead us, his people, his sheep, by still waters, even as he was in the boat with his disciples 
And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, and so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, and he, but he was asleep. And they, the disciples, woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose, and Jesus rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Now, Jesus alone has the authority to rule over the elements of nature to create still waters for his sheep. God alone can forgive sins, but Jesus Christ is able to restore and return our soul even as he has the power to forgive sins. Jesus has all the authority of the one true and living God. Jesus claimed to be the great I am in John 8, 58, is saying this, truly, truly, I tell you, and Jesus is saying this about himself, Truly, truly, I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. He's, he's claiming the very name of God, Yahweh. I am that I am. I am who I am. And Jesus converts the souls of his people. He turns them from their wicked path, and he leads his people in paths of righteousness for his namesake. William Plummer writes this. What is clearer than the, than the lost must be recovered or perish? And those who are rushing headlong to ruin must be stopped. And their course changed or they cannot see life. Conversion is an old doctrine. He who practically rejects it is undone. And friends, only Jesus has the power to convert or to restore souls to God. And we often hear the dangers of this world and we stray like sheep that are headed toward the slaughter. Even at times we hear the voice of the shepherd and we run away like foolish sheep. But the greater threat that we face in this world is not the things that are coming against us in this world, but God's eternal wrath that we deserve for our sins. Jesus alone is able to convert us from the race to hell that we are on in our sin. And then friends, if, if our soul is not restored or converted to God, we will face not only the dangers that lurk in the shadows of the valley of the shadows of, of the valley of death of this world, but we will face the eternal darkness of God's good and just eternal wrath for our sin in hell. Only Jesus Christ is a sufficient substitute to restore the wicked, hell-deserving sheep like us. And Christ's power was displayed as he lived the perfect life that none of us have lived. He died the death that his people deserve. He drank the full cup of God's eternal wrath so that a people, a sheepfold, might have cups that overflow with goodness and covenant love and mercy to them. So friend, if you're here this morning and you're not a believer in Christ, would you turn from your sin? Have your soul restored unto God by faith in the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. Put your hope in him for the forgiveness of your sins. And Jesus said this in John chapter 10, and Jordan read this earlier, that he has sheep that are not of this fold and that he must bring them also and they will listen to his voice. Friends, let's be about that in our business throughout the course of the week. Be making the voice of the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, known to the sheep that are not of this fold. For those that seem to be running to hell, those that are rejecting Christ in our lives, let's seek to be sharing of the voice of the good shepherd and, and inviting people to trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ 
even as we go out into the workplace and our neighborhoods. And friend, if you are one of these sheep that are not currently of the fold, hear his voice. Hear the voice of the good shepherd. Turn from your sin. Trust in his perfect life, his substitutionary death, his resurrection from the dead. And follow him to his eternal kingdom, to his heavenly home. In the house of I am, the Lord, forever. Friend, if you are not trusting in Christ, I would love to talk with you at the door afterward about how you can find forgiveness for your sins, where you can be included in this great fold that God is gathering of his sheep forever. And Jesus Christ's perfectly acceptable substitutionary death and his resurrection in victory over death won and chose, pursued, lost sheep. Repent. And do it not for the sake of yourself even, but for the the sake of his great name. That he might be glorified. That he might be the one who is praised. That we would not boast in ourselves, that we would boast in the greatness of God and his work and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he leads his sheep in paths of righteousness, even as Christ clothes his sheep in his perfect righteousness. But we see also that Jesus is the shepherd, friend, and protector of his sheep. In this world, we face trouble. Even the gates of hell will make a constant threat in opposition to Christ's church. But Jesus has promised that he is with us. Jesus Christ will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You can take it to the bank. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, Jesus Christ, our great shepherd, brings all of his authority to bear to command us as his unworthy sheep to be a part of making his name known among the nations. He brings all of his authority to bear to command us to make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that Christ has commanded. And he says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He is the good shepherd that does not flee at the sight of danger. He is the good shepherd who stays with his sheep. He is the good shepherd who will not abandon nor forsake his people. And even as we considered Psalm 22 last week, he is the good shepherd who was abandonment, abandoned. He faced abandonment and he was forsaken by his father so that we as his helpless, needy sheep would never be abandoned. Jesus is the good shepherd who is with us in the valley of the shadow of death. We fear no evil because he is with us. Even as Jesus encourages us not to fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul, rather fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Jesus Christ prepared a table for his people in the midst of the plots of enemies that were seeking to kill him. And we proclaim his death until he returns, remembering that that table, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, even as a foretaste and a foreshadow of the marriage supper of the Lamb, that we look forward to as the bride of Christ, seeing him when our faith becomes sight. 
Jesus Christ is our friend and companion in the midst of the dangers of this world. Jesus is a friend to weak sinners who are like sheep who cannot care for themselves. He ate with sinners. He came not to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. And the Pharisees and the lawyers, they rejected Jesus for eating at table and befriending tax collectors and sinners. And when the sinful woman came and poured expensive ointment on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her tears and her hair, he forgave her for her sin. In Jesus Christ, God is seeking out the lost sheep. And Jesus taught the parable of the lost sheep. God converts his sheep. He goes after his sheep. He brings his sheep when they are unable. He brings them to himself. He gives them the gift of repentance. Listen to the parable of the lost sheep. This is Luke chapter 15, verses 4 through 7. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Friends, can you see that Jesus is the fulfillment of the I am being the shepherd of his people? Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him, and he is the shepherd, and he does it. And then the last point is this. Jesus alone is our shepherd host. Again, get that first line of Psalm 23 in your head. I am is my shepherd. I am is my shepherd. And listen to John 10, again, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And then a few verses later, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. All of the gospel accounts agree. Matthew chapter 2, Jesus is the fulfillment of the one from Judah, from the line of David, who shepherds God's people. The crowds that came to Jesus were like sheep, without a shepherd. And Jesus is the shepherd who was struck for his sheep. Hebrews chapter 13 describes that Jesus Christ is the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 25 says this, For you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And then 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 4 describes what God's sheep have to look forward to when our chief shepherd returns, Jesus Christ. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Jesus Christ is the perfect shepherd host. In my Father's house, 
There are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. That is the longing of the heart's desire of God's sheep is to be with the shepherd, Jesus Christ, to be with him where he is, for us to be with him. He would take us home to be with him. So friends, again, afresh, if you're a believer in Christ, brothers and sisters, turn from your sin. Have Christ as the shepherd of your life. This is what we look forward to as he leads us in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Revelation, chapter 7, verses 15 through 17, through 17 is a description of dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. Now listen and get the glorious future that lambs under Christ's care can look forward to. This is Revelation chapter 7. They are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. My friends, the the shepherd of God's people is a lamb. He knows your weakness. He has entered into frail humanity to redeem it from the curse of God's wrath for our sin. The lamb, Jesus Christ, is our shepherd. And if we have him, we shall not want. In Christ, we have no need. In Christ, we lack nothing. And this is our inheritance if we turn from our sin and trust in the death and resurrection of Christ. The shepherd is the greatest need that we have. So friends, find salvation and rest in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you praise for Christ. We give you praise that he is the good shepherd. We give you praise that you have revealed throughout all of the pages of the Bible that you are a shepherd for your people. Oh God, we admit that we face weakness, that we we sin. Our hearts are prone to wander. And even sometimes, at times, we hear your voice and we run. And Father, we pray that you would forgive us for our sins. We pray that you would restore our souls, that you would convert us, return us back to you by your power, by the power of your Holy Spirit. And Father, we pray that you would help us to walk even in the midst of darkness, even in the midst of evil days, even in the midst of being surrounded by enemies, uh, that you would help us to see that you have given us everything in Christ, the green pastures, the peaceful waters, that you have given us a home in you, that you are preparing a place for us, that we will be with you singing your praises and of your glory forever. God, we pray that you would be with us as we sojourn through this world. Lord, we are like refugees seeking rest and refuge in the care of our shepherd. Now, Father, we pray that you would bear us well, even this coming week. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would strengthen us to walk, help us to encourage one another. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to persevere to the very end. And we cry out with the church 
throughout all ages, come, Lord Jesus, come, Shepherd King. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.